0: Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you're spending it with people that care about you and not people you feel obligated to be around. I promise I'm only one bourbon in today. I have a quick public service announcement before we get started. This is directed at fellow podcasters who started six months ago or longer. A lot of you have noticed that your download numbers have fallen since the summer. That is due to the new download standard Put in place by the IAB, otherwise known as the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Podcasting is still in its infancy, going through many growing pains, and hosting companies, advertisers have been squabbling over the definition of a download. With the inception of the IAB, they now have their answer and count our stats appropriately. Many podcasters have seen their numbers fall drastically, some up to half of their download numbers. Before the IAB standard, hosting companies had free reign of what they counted as a download, a stream. And if a listener had paused in the middle of a podcast and then hit start later on in the day, that could be counted as two downloads as opposed to one. There are many other loopholes they found to fudge the numbers, but that's just one that I know of off the top of my head. You can imagine that this impacted longer episodes. So when you take a one to two hour long podcast, you might pause that several times. Whereas a five to 20 minute podcast, they probably didn't see their numbers drop as much. As an independent podcaster, I use the download numbers as my guide to know what the listeners want to hear. Ironically, all of my longer episodes had triple the downloads as opposed to my shorter ones. I thought it had something to do with the subject matter, but now I realize that it was the length of the episode. I think I can take an educated guess on why hosting companies were doing this. They get paid by the download. Why wouldn't they report more downloads when it means more money for them? This hit the independent podcast the hardest. Uh, Many of us do not have sponsors or advertisers. We have to hit a minimum download per episode before we get them. We do have our true numbers now, but the disappointment of seeing half your numbers go away has discouraged many podcasters, including myself. So I wanted to let fellow podcasters know that you didn't lose half your audience. You're just now seeing the real numbers. It's all left a bad taste in my mouth, but at least now we know where we truly stand. I'd like to thank all the podcasts that have given me a spot on their shows. Sex Land, Curiosity Hour, Squirm. I also do a quick read for the We're All Pretending podcast. So check those out if you want to hear me talking more. For tonight's show, I speak with two different guests who have similar experiences, but in completely different worlds that most of us consider very alien. Tonight's episode is about surviving cults and what you do after you leave.
1: My name's Erica and I grew up in a Bible based cult. People throw around that term, cult. Yeah. But there's actually quite a bit of research that's been done. A lot of psychologists and other researchers have really tried to understand certain attributes that are common. To all cults to kind of help make it more of something that you can study and research and understand so typically when people are trying to classify something as a bible-based cult typically you have the bible as the foundation however there's usually supplemental information or documents that's considered more important so in our case it was my pastor's interpretations the messages that he was getting directly from god which was the interpretation that he was told in the Bible, which was the true message, and that the rest of Christianity had closed its ears to. Mm -hmm. So we were the only ones obtaining that information. The church required absolute devotion to our pastor. So all of our money and our time was turned over to the control of the church. So it wasn't the standard high, the 10%. It was everything. And then all your money, not just your money, but your time. So all spare moments in your life were spent at the church or evangelizing on behalf of
0: So you say cult, and you were talking about the different definitions of a cult. I know textbook definition people will say it's any church or organized religious group that's not registered or has the taxation exemption, things like that. But what is your specific definition of what, why do you call it a cult as opposed to a church or just religious organization?
1: Because most religions don't require you to devote everything to the church, mm-hmm. so they don't require you to have an open discussion with the pastor of your financial situation so he can see that you're giving everything above very essentials to the church. And then also, we had absolute devotion. You were not allowed to question the pastor. Whereas in other churches and other faiths, you're allowed to have disagreements. We may have the basic tenets of our faith, but there might be certain things I'm allowed to disagree with you on. You were not allowed to disagree with the pastor. He made all your decisions for you, where you worked, who you married, who you spent your time with, how you dressed. Everything was determined by our pastor. So that's a little bit different than a typical mainstream Christian church or the non-Christian church. It's stricter in its devotion to the church itself.
0: So when you say you weren't allowed, what would happen if you did?
1: You would no longer be part of the church and you would be damned to hell because we believed we were the only ones going to heaven.
0: So you became an enemy of the church. Yes. And they were
1: actively against the enemies. They would do everything they could Mm -hmm. to make sure that you were not to be talked to anymore. You never left quietly. You were used in many sermons afterwards as an example of a heathen and what you're not supposed to be.
0: And if your family decided to stay in the church, you were now separated from your family?
1: Yes. So when I did decide to leave, I was cut off completely from my family.
0: What, I guess, is your earliest memory? How did this all start? Was your family already in it when you were growing up?
1: I was pretty young when we got in it. My parents, they became Christians when I was young, so they were not raised Christians. And they had hippie mentality. So what they wanted in the book of Acts, they talk about the Christians that all lived together and shared their meals together and gave everything that they had to help each other out because they were being persecuted. The Christians in the book of Acts and in the first century church were not the majority as they are, especially like in our country. And so my parents wanted that kind of church. It kind of reminds me of there's a TV show on Hulu called The Path. Yeah. it's not christian based but that idea of we all live kind of communal living was what my parents wanted somebody didn't have a job but they were part of the church you would give everything that you could to help that person because what was most important was spreading the message of the church to the rest of the world and so nobody there was no impoverished people and there were no wealthy people everybody gave to the church Mm -hmm. and to help each other out so we were part of a sister church. So my earliest memories is that that was everything. They'd come to our house. We didn't have a communal living when we were part of the sister church. It was new when we joined it, and they were building up its membership. But we knew of the main location, which was in another state, and we would go visit the main location. And that's what we were trying to recreate in the town that I grew up in. All of our time that wasn't spent at school was spent watching videos or listening to sermons of our pastor trying to teach us what it truly meant to be a Christian. This was the definition that he had heard from God of what we were supposed to do.
0: So were these the only two locations, or were there multiple across the U.S.?
1: Oh, they also tried it in other countries as well. Okay. They would go, somebody would leave the church, go through our evangelism program, which is a three-year Bible school program. They would feel God telling them that they were supposed to start it somewhere else, and they would be given some money to go start it wherever they felt called to go.
0: And how many members, roughly, do you think there were at the highest point?
1: At its highest point were probably a couple thousand people who regularly, either part of a sister church, maybe they had to leave, maybe they had to go take care of a sick parent. They didn't leave the church, they just had to leave, but they would take that message with them. So we did not consider them leaving the church. So if I counted you know, everybody who was a regular believer that my pastor had the one true message, they like to call it probably a couple thousand at its height. All right.
0: So, what's your earliest memory of going to this?
1: When I was younger, it was pretty fun because all your meals were shared, mm-hmm. so I just remember big family meals. I remember songs and just this really great feeling of community. I didn't understand all of it, obviously, but I knew that we were part of something special, and as a kid, it makes you feel special. You don't know what it is that it is exactly. you just know that you're part of something cool
0: and not what churches are supposed to be is. Community and coming together to help each other out. Whether you be the church member or the congregation, the preacher, whoever, it's supposed to establish community.
1: And so, when you're part of the sister church, it was a little bit easier to have a little bit more autonomy um, because not everything you said and did was being monitored by the pastor. So we had a little bit more autonomy in that I could watch a little bit of TV because we didn't have everything set up yet with all the classes. We would get the videotapes later on of the classes. So, but I wasn't always on site at the our property for the classes. So a lot of times I could be coloring or something like that, where we'd all sit around and watch the videotape of my pastor giving his message. To me, it just seemed really fun. It was like house church. Mm-hmm. We were part of that for a long time, and uh, my parents then felt that they were supposed to take the next step and actually join the main location. And so we moved. As I was also getting older, and I was actually at the location, I really then began to grow in my church's faith and really understand what our church actually believed and what it meant if I was going to be a follower of our faith. And so while I was down there, I learned even more about how much money was required for us to give to the pastor and how much of our time. So we were at school during the day, but Tuesdays and Thursdays, we were in Bible class. Wednesday night was prayer meeting, but usually it was a way to out the other members who were not living the true message. It was a way for you to out that person in front of everybody so that you could then chastise them into right living. Friday nights were usually evangelism. So we would be dropped off in neighborhoods. We'd go to coffee places, and it was a time to recruit people to join our church. So it was usually Fridays and Saturdays. And then Sundays, we were in church from 9 a.m. to usually about 1 or 2. We would break for our shared meal, and then we would be back again in church. So the thought was that if you're outside the church, then that was time for the devil to mess with your head. The idea was you were always to be either in a Bible class or always surrounded by people that were in our church.
0: Well, idle hands do the devil's work, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Let's back up a second. There was one night you would use to out other people that were not true believers or yeah. were messing up. It was
1: our Wednesday night. So you would say that you were praying for a dear sister who who received a check from their family and did not turn it over to the church. And then you could tell everybody looked around to see whose face looked guilty, and it was that person's way of announcing that somebody in our church had received money, but had not told the church about it.
0: Okay. And this, <laughs> but this was really what that class or what that night was for was to narc out your, your friends and family.
1: Well, they would say it was to help foster the right thinking that we were all supposed to have. What, 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 what kind of trouble <laughs> it
0: was, would they get in?
1: So it was our chance to go talk to that person who wasn't turning over their money and help them to understand why our church needs that money and why that selfishness does not help the bigger goal of the church.
0: But they wouldn't be disciplined or anything. They would just be talked to and told you should. We
1: had food and sleep deprivation. Huh. So if you were not submitting to the church through talking, there was, especially if you lived. most people lived on the property. We lived off the property, but most people lived on the property and relied on the church and those who worked and donated more money. To survive and so they would just not give you your food or maybe in your house you're not supposed to sleep you were to do 12 hours of praying and fasting in order to change your heart
0: and who would enforce that
1: everybody watched wow. and, and especially since you believe that you're going to go to hell if you don't conform you monitor yourself as well mm-hmm. but a lot of it is very much the group think you don't want to disappoint anybody else
2: so you do start
1: to do those things, and then you don't have any friends or family outside of the church for the strength to be able to resist.
2: Yeah, so
1: you did it. I had many nights where I was considered rebellious to my parents, and so it was my job to read a book that the pastor had written and to pray and fast to get rid of the rebellious demon that was in me.
0: Now I remember when I was in the military, especially say basic training, and. It's a very controlled environment, and you're getting yelled at by a drill sergeant. You're getting uh, just disciplined. Everything you do is being watched and controlled, and it's to the point where when you start buying into it, when somebody else is messing up, you start calling them out on it.
1: Yes. That's exactly what that environment is like.
0: Now you feel responsible for making sure everybody is coexisting properly
1: <laughs> yes because the thought is if, if you're not then you have a lot of dissension and you don't have you're not working together as a group and the whole purpose our whole salvation relies on sharing the message of our pastor
0: and, and conforming yeah yeah so you start growing up you become a rebellious teen like we all do right
1: <laughs> not to the extent of others but yes uh <laughs> You know, a little bit. It's kind of hard to rebel when all your time is spent at church and in classes. But there'd be a little bit of time where I didn't want to wake up Sunday morning and spend all day at church. Especially when, as I got a little bit older and I started thinking about getting a job. You know, I'm getting near 15, 16 years old and realizing that if I get a job, I don't get to buy myself things. It needs to be turned
0: to our church. So you're you're growing up. You're a good teenager. You're not rebelling, but you might sleep in. What happened during your teenage years, or when, when was the, the kind of turning point for you?
1: I started thinking about wanting to go to college, and education was discouraged in our church. It was considered a waste of time. We believed very strongly that Jesus was coming back in the year 2000, and so that would have been when I would be in college. And so therefore, it was time that I should have been spent preparing myself and to share the message to bring other people so that when Jesus came, that we would be saved.
0: This is me being ignorant. You don't need education when he comes back? Is this like Armageddon or life yes. is wonderful? Yes,
1: so this is the end of the world <laughs> okay. when Jesus returns. Okay. And we are brought into heaven, and then all the stuff that happens in Revelation, all the trials and tribulations and all the curses and all that that occurs is after we are taken away.
0: Okay, so you've been raptured. You're gone. Yes.
1: Oh you know the word yes yeah. I, we were raptured.
0: and i'm I'm still on the earth
1: <laughs> if you were part of our church <laughs>
0: well and, which I absolutely wasn't
1: whole <laughs> small group of us were actually in heaven yeah. nobody else was
0: what was your point of view of other Christian churches
1: they were probably not saved mainstream churches had it wrong they were used often as examples of how not to be hmm. they were used as churches that were flashy that did not promote the dying to self, which was the main message of our church. Their message was joyous and live a good life. And and that was not what our message was. Our message was deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him daily. I I just
0: kind of wanted to hit that point home a little bit because I've gotten a few people that are not too happy about my uh, Jehovah's Witness episode. They don't appreciate the way she spoke about Jehovah's Witnesses when really she was talking about her organization yeah. specifically.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these were not rules put upon by my parents, and they were not rules, you know, having like strict parents or something. This was what all of us, if you were to be a member of the church, this is what everybody did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was a little bit different.
0: So you're not getting details or the message wrong about all of Christianity. You're talking very specifically about your church yeah and I just want to put that disclaimer out before I get a hundred thousand emails from a bunch of upset Christians, okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, 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 We were surrounded by Baptist Church and Methodist Church. The belief was that because they did not give the message that our pastor had and which he was getting directly from God,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, although they believed in Jesus, yeah, maybe we had a better place in heaven. We were never quite sure um now he teaches outright that we are the only ones going to heaven, but at the time when I was there it was like on the border
0: oh. it was,
1: maybe they'll be there we're not sure but they are not understanding god in his fullness the way that we do
0: you're discouraged from getting education you're discouraged from pursuing any sort of extracurricular activities outside of the church just mm-hmm. like my jehovah's witness guest because mm-hmm. the end of the world is coming yeah and the end of the world for your organization was y2k yeah Okay. And where is your church just quickly? Where are they now? Because that year has now passed.
1: We were not ready yet for the for the coming of Jesus. Okay. We had not conformed, and so Jesus delayed it. So we would have more people that we could share our message with, and we could also get right with God more completely now.
0: So when the end of the world and Jesus did not return, now it's you weren't ready. Okay. And and I actually don't even really mean that in a mocking uh, way. I just wanted to know, like, when somebody declares a prophecy of whatever, and then it doesn't come to pass, what's their excuse? So
1: yes, now we didn't have to go and sell off everything and and do all that because we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So we were a little bit different than people when they've had prophecies in the past that Jesus was returning, and they go and they sell everything and quit their jobs because we didn't have much. So it's a little bit a little bit easier to go back. And live life on January 1st uh, when Jesus did not come back because he just went back into what we had been doing just more perfectly. All right, good. Our husbands were chosen for us, Uh, so that was part of what was getting to me as a teenager. So not only did I kind of want to go to college, I did not want to join our Bible school and evangelize, did not see that as a life for me. I wanted to date like other kids I saw on TV when I was alive, you know, when I would kind of watch tv you know and just in general and and we were not our husbands were chosen for us our pastor would actually determine whether or not that was god's calling for us to marry that person typically the man would go to the pastor and say i feel led to marry erica and there would be praying and then if there was confirmation from god then that guy was allowed to tell me that this is what god's will is for me
0: and uh, what was your say in this matter
1: to say no would be to go against God's will.
0: Yeah, so you didn't have any say. No say. No say. No. But <laughs> the men got to choose. Yeah. The women, out of a lineup, pretty much, and then decide what was God's will and what was what was right for the group. Okay.
1: Funny now, but at the time it makes sense.
0: <laughs> Actually, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't find it funny. I find it yeah. horrifying. But that's yeah. just me.
1: <laughs> no. Well, I laugh at it now. Yeah, like, yeah. how silly is it to think yeah. that? So toward the end, those are the things I'm thinking about as I'm getting into high school. Is this what I want my life to be? That if I do stay and devote myself to the church, then I would go through our program, our Bible school, and be sent somewhere to evangelize after I'm done. Or maybe I'm called to stay in the location of the church and maybe be in administration or something like that. Maybe I'm to be married and to have children. And I just, I didn't see myself. Doing that may be way off in the future, but people got married very young, at least um, since you graduated.
0: Okay. So you, did you know who your husband-to-be was going to be until- Yes.
1: I knew of him. So he came to the pastor, and he was quite a bit older than me.
0: How old were you, and how old was he?
1: I was 16. He was 26. Hmm. Not 30 years, but when you're 16 compared to a 26-year-old, there's a lot of difference.
0: Would you let your 16-year-old daughter date a 26-year-old man? No. I wouldn't either. No. I just <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: No. But he uh, had picked me. And so he went and got confirmation from the pastor and, and certain people. Men had mentors in the church. My dad was actually one of his mentors. And there was confirmation. They felt that they had heard from God that I was to be his wife. And so he approached me. I was happy to be picked. Every girl wants to be picked. You don't want to be the girl that doesn't get asked. It felt good for a while. And so all of our, we don't date. You go to the church events together. So we did do fun things at the church. We had sock hop and we had volleyball games. You know, you got to keep it fun sometimes because if you're just studying the Bible all the time, it gets kind of boring and people don't like to stay around for that. So they try to mix in a little fun and it's especially for things like this for quote unquote dating. So that way we could spend time together outside of studying and learning directly from the pastor. And so we would hang out and kind of get to know each other and we were complete opposites on everything. I can't think of a single thing that we had in common. But this was what God wanted for me. So who was I to question that? I was in an accelerated programs. So I was graduating from high school early. And as my graduation date was approaching I just grew sicker and sicker of the thought That this was my life I began to get a little resentful that you know my parents and other people who had joined the church had had a life before the church and they chose to join it I didn't choose to join it I grew up in this Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: I was kind of rebelling that was kind of my rebellion is how come I don't get that right to leave like the Amish and I get to have my year away and then I get to come back if I want to I kind of wanted that I wanted my moment to see what else was out there. I knew that in the end I believed at that time that I would come right back because that was my what I believed was the path to heaven. I just wanted just a little bit of time. I talked to my mom about it and my mom she said that if you're feeling from God that you are to go to college, bring it up to your fiance and and have you guys pray about it. And and maybe something will be different. Maybe God can somehow use college with this and i don't know whether she kind of thought that within a semester or two i would realize that that life wasn't for me and come back to the church i don't know but she didn't discourage it as much as people had discouraged it in the past and so i approached my fiance and he was immediately appalled oh my gosh it required many many meetings with the pastor being prayed over a lot of praying and i kept asking god if this isn't your plan for me, please take away the desire to go to college. And I would pray it over and over and over again. And he never took away that desire. I kept just thinking of myself in college. And so when it came time, I had to tell him, I I can't marry you if you can't accept this because I need at least have a chance. So then a compromise was made because he still felt strongly that God wanted us together. And he was worried about, not only would I be disobeying God, he would be disobeying God if we didn't get married. So he was concerned as well. And so we talked about, you know, could you do junior college? And would that be enough? And 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 the more that they kept trying to find a way to kind of make it fit, the more I found myself rebelling, even stronger and stronger, and the more resentful I became that I don't get to choose my life. And I didn't have this growing up. You know, I didn't have, I mean, I a typical kid, you know rebelling not going to bed when i was supposed to not wanting to wake up but i never rebelled against the church i was strong in my belief that my pastor got special revelations from god we were honored to be in his presence and i believed that strongly and even though at times i wish i could buy myself some jerbo jeans because those were popular at the time i understood the selfish nature of that and so after a couple minutes you know, I would find myself giving it to the church. But as this decision came, I just found myself just angrier and angrier. So I was asked to leave. I was told that because I was not willing to submit, my soul was damned, And I could no longer be part of that church because I was not conforming. And so my parents were forbidden to help me in any way. And so I had to figure out a way to go to college with no support. And I was very sheltered. So I went to a large public university. Beginning of college was very scary, but it was very exciting at the same time.
0: So hold on a second. You left the church Mm -hmm. and you had to move out. You were no longer with your parents. Were were you allowed to communicate with them or any of your family?
1: In the very beginning, because since I can't get an apartment, there's nothing I can do because I'm 18, just turned 17. I have no credit, no apartment had no job history, so I couldn't find anywhere to live. finally found a job, but I didn't have a roommate that I could live with. You know, all the things that you kind of could have when you've had a life outside your church, uh, there was nobody for me to share expenses with. Since I had trouble, I finally did find a job, but it would not be enough for me to pay for school plus apartment living expenses. I had no car, so it was very limited on, you know, what jobs I could take and where I could be. I was able to draw up an arrangement with my parents where they were my landlords. And that was the pastor. As long as we went into a contractual arrangement, then that was okay. And so I had to pay rent. I had late fees if I did not pay it on time. I had my own shelf in the refrigerator. I was not allowed to eat their food. Everything, I was on my own.
0: Because their food was for the church and everybody in it, and you had to be
1: separated. Yes. And then for me to eat their food would be them contributing to me. So I was never allowed to eat their food. Everything was very separate. So I felt like we didn't have Airbnb at the time, but I was like an Airbnb renting in a room of, of the house. Okay. We talked, but it was almost like we were in a landlord relationship. I didn't share my life with them. You know, We were respectful. Um, I still had a strict curfew because I was in their home. But it was a financial relationship, not a, a family relationship. I was just somebody that was renting from them, and we treated each other accordingly.
0: And you have siblings, right?
1: I do. How so by this time, my brother had left the church. Um, my brother is gay, and that is forbidden. And so he had to be cut off from our family.
0: What age did he come out, and what age was
1: he cut off? He was like 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And since he had a very short period of time to repent and change his life, and conformed to the church and he didn't so he was cut off he was asked to leave and my parents actually kicked him out of the house so he's a little bit older than me so by this time he's already gone and uh, I have a younger sister and she was not rebelling like this she was still going to church still showing up she was not committed but we would I would never have told that to my parents By the time, my sister was not committed to it, but she was going through the motions because she could see what had happened to my brother and what happened to me. And so she just kind of played along.
0: Scared into submission.
1: Yes. So at college, I loved it, but it was really scary because I was used to all decisions being made for me. I had instant friends in my church. Here, I didn't have instant friends. I didn't know what I liked. You know, I didn't listen to anything except Christian music. So I didn't know do I like. Grunge? Do I like heavy metal? I don't know. I've never allowed to listen to this, and Uh and so part of it was fun to explore, but the other part of it was scary because I wanted somebody to tell me you like this because that was all I was told my whole life was this is what you're to do with your day and your time, and this is what you're supposed to like and not like.
0: Were you able to go out and see stores and restaurants and stuff while you were in the church?
1: We went out. I mean, obviously, we'd go. Grocery shopping. So, because my dad worked, we did not depend on the church as much. We were considered the workers. It talks about in the Bible those who have more means helping out the church. And so, they viewed my dad as you have the more professional job. And so, everything beyond our bare essentials went to the church. But it did mean that we had a little bit more flexibility because if we weren't on the property to where our actions were being watched 24 7, there would be a little bit of time to maybe we could. Maybe go see a movie. And so we did have a little bit of freedom. So I got to see certain things. It was still really strict in terms of just because my parents, just because of their faith, we tended to be pretty conservative in, our, in, in what we watched or how we spent our time and what we listened to. But so I would see stores and I would see what everybody wore that I couldn't wear it. And I didn't even ask.
0: Well, when you said that, you know, you didn't know what you liked and what you didn't like, I'm, I'm like envisioning a prisoner that's just got out of jail or prison. And, they, they look, you know, at the wall of deodorants and they're like, I don't know what to choose. Like, they're overwhelmed. And I didn't know how much of a culture shock it was when you finally got out. I'm sure, I'm sure you very much didn't know what was going on. But it sounds like you at least had some exposure to the outside I had outside some exposure.
1: World. I knew there was a grunge movement going on, kind of. <laughs> but it, I didn't really know what it was. My culture shock was little things like buying name brand for myself because we always because everything was about living as frugally as possible so that you can give more. We never bought name brand, and so being able to buy name brand toilet paper was just like the most amazing thing ever. It's like those are the things that shocked and just made me the happiest person. Is like I can actually go and spend money on myself and not feel guilty, but I still kind of feel guilty at times. I'd have a little bit of extra money. And I'd feel guilty because I felt it was selfish for me to be holding on to that money. I wasn't part of the church, but I still felt bad at not being part of the church. That was such a part of my life. It was just really hard for me to figure it out. I went to a liberal college and just being exposed to the feminist movement and things like that, that I had no idea what I believed about those things. I knew what I was taught to believe, but I didn't know what I believed. And so I hopped around a lot trying to figure out what felt comfortable what label am i what do i enjoy doing i got to explore other churches and other faiths, and and see what i liked but at the same time i still felt damn that i'm going to help why am i even bothering but this other part we still wanted to explore because what if they were wrong i was opening myself up to the thought that maybe i've been taught wrong my whole life and maybe god is bigger and more accepting than I had been raised.
0: Well, that, that was my next question, is what <laughs> is your relationship with God and just your belief at that point? You know?
1: At that point, I didn't think I was worthy to even talk to God, but I still felt that need to be at church because that felt comfortable for me. So I would find myself, and also having no money, a lot of them gave food to college students, so I would go to different Churches, ministries on campus, so I could get something free to eat, just because I did not have very much money at all. I really saw that they had kindness and an openness, and I was taught the exact opposite that they were selfish and they would never accept me, and they did. And so it was just a lot of just everything I felt I was taught was wrong, but I still wanted to hold on to it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just it's this weird thing because. I would maybe like the pastor who was speaking, but I was taught that my pastor was the only one who heard straight from God, and so it was really hard for me to reconcile this idea that this pastor or this youth minister, college minister, they showed me love and they were really nice to me, and that's not what we were taught. We were taught that they were selfish and that they didn't have a love for God, uh, that they used God. It was really difficult. But then I felt very different from everybody else because they all seemed to accept this, and I did not like they grew up assuming that God loves you no matter what. And I did not grow up with that. At any moment I could be cut off from God. If I commit one too many sins, if I am not fully dedicated to the message of my pastor, my salvation is gone. And and I was hearing different when I was in school. And so it was it was hard, but I just kept going for it. I kept trying to figure out what was I supposed to learn in college because I really felt that I was supposed to be there and trying to find my way. And so about the time I was in graduate school, my parents left the church. So one thing I didn't mention was that the pastor believed that God gave him permission to have multiple wives. uh, Nobody else could, but the pastor could. Hmm. My parents over time had a hard time accepting that. There were just a lot of contradictions. There was a lot of questions that my parents would raise about where how the money was being spent where's the money going we're all giving so much money where is it my parents did not accept the other wives belief as much as the other people in the church did and so my parents spoke up and as a result of that they were asked to leave and because my dad was one of the families that contributed to the church they lashed out really strongly at him they would send us letters or i say us I mean, it's to my family. So I kind of took it upon myself because I'm helping my parents as they're going through this. Now they're feeling what I felt and they're apologizing to me. So I'm trying to rebuild a relationship with them. And they're getting letters from the church with curses, Old Testament curses, scriptures uh, about people in the Old Testament, but it's directed to my parents. So we joke that a couple of the Bible verses cursed my dad's household with leprosy. And so we would joke that we would wake up one day with leprosy. We tried to laugh it off, but we were all really scared Yeah, because seeing my parents in that, that mental state put me right back in that mental state of being scared. Just when I was kind of thinking that maybe I can make a life for myself apart from the church, I see my parents struggling and with those same questions. And so it took me right back to that feeling really hard because I resented them. And part of me wanted to treat them the same way that they treated me, but I couldn't. So my parents had to sell their house and they had to change their phone number and they had to completely change where they lived, everything in order to get away. For a while, they lived with me until they found another house. And so during that time, I really got to understand why my dad fell into that life. Because we never talked about it, but it was, how did you get wrapped up in this? And I, I understood my dad is bipolar and he doesn't like taking medication. And in this church, they taught him that if you just live the way you're supposed to live, the way that God wants us to live, you won't be bipolar. You will be full of God's love and understanding, just follow all these rules. And you don't need that anymore. And that really appealed to my dad. And the idea of the first century church really appealed to the hippie concept that they had, but with this Jesus guy that they just met. And it was a way to kind of merge everything together and they said that in the beginning it seemed like this was the right place for that because they don't tell you up front about sleep deprivation and food and they don't tell you up front that oh you know your daughters will have no control they don't tell you that in the beginning that is very slow while you're in it what you see in the beginning is love and here's the way to God and that's all that you see in the beginning until you're sucked in.
0: You see love, you see community, you see acceptance, and then you're pretty much told what to think, told who to marry, you're mm-hmm. told the outside world is full of evil, selfish people that will not accept you, and you're even threatened with Bible verses.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my dad still keeps them.
0: And,
2: and,
1: um. <laughs> and just, just,
0: just, just, I've been told many times over the course of my life that I'm going to burn in hell eternally. And when I say, well, that's a horrible thing to say to somebody, they say, well, that's what God's going to do. It's not, it's not me saying it. And I'm like, but you just said it. And apparently that's how you feel because you don't speak for God. <laughs> yeah. and, and it seems to be something that a lot of religious people seem to forget is they like to throw out the curses on people just like a witch would yeah. or somebody that practices black magic would. And they don't understand the difference there. Right. Because they're saying, well, it's God doing it, not me.
1: Yeah. By this time, my sister had a daughter, and they would curse her. She was a baby. She had done nothing. Yeah. But they would feel justified in doing that. They would, you know, back before my parents changed their number, they would call all hours of the night and begin, if you pick up the phone, yelling at us. Horrible thing. Because, you know, if my parents were questioning, they tried the love tactic. And when that wasn't working, then they turned to the anger and the resentment. My dad wasn't raising these questions in front of large groups of people. He went directly to the pastor. He went to directly to certain people, but then what would happen is the pastor would spread this to everybody else. My parents were very respectful in the beginning and did not share their questions with other people. My parents were hoping for answers to their questions or a peaceful exit, and they didn't get either. I remember going to a restaurant where one of the employees worked at, and I did not know if she worked there, or, or one, of the, one of the employees went to the church. And she yelled at me to leave the restaurant and said that I was a heathen and I was cursing the doors of that place and yelling at me for my parents leaving. She wasn't even a member of the church when I left. So she didn't know, except that our pictures were everywhere and people were told to stay away from us.
0: Why do you think they would tell you that the rest of the world is selfish and won't accept you? And why do you think they tell others that you're an evil person once you've left the
1: church? think it's that what keeps you part of the church is fear. The fear that if I leave, my family won't welcome me back. You know, because so many of the people left their family to join our church. You know, we would have lots of times when family member parents would come and visit their kid at the church. And, and the parents would say, you're in a cult, Johnny. You need to leave. And Johnny would say, I'm not in a cult. This is the true path. So, Donnie would then cut off all ties with his family. What keeps Donnie in the cold is thinking, my parents will never accept me if I ever need them again because I've already cut them off. We would be told that all the time that nobody would ever accept us if we ever left. If we ever tried to mingle with the rest of the world, we would never fit in. And then when you did leave, they put the fear in you of vanity. The whole church would gang up against you because. They need the rest of the church to not think hmm maybe i need to go see why they left they need to rally the troops so to speak to keep that fear mentality among them that they're an outsider now because they've left we have the right message almost like you have a rallying point you have a common enemy and that brings people together and so when somebody would leave the church that became the common enemy that they could rally against and it helps bolster the church they feel like they're proving something to god by choosing to cut all ties and make it very clear that they were cutting all ties to somebody who left the church
0: to me it just it all sounds like control even if it's i'm doing this because of the love of god i'm doing this because of the love of my church i'm doing this because you disobey the church but at the end when it's all said and done you have to scare people to stay with the church you have to scare people if they want to leave the church. And then once they've left the church, you have to scare everyone that's still a member that this is what happens when you leave.
1: And that's what makes what I grew up in different than a mainstream church. When people think, well, what made it a cult? You know, there's checklists of, that researchers have put together common traits, and I can go and tick off so many of them. And they all have to do with the control. If I go to church A and I decide to go to church if I'm part of a mainstream healthy faith and I decide to go to church B because I moved or I just like service time of the other church, church A isn't going to have protests against me and isn't going to, you know, attack me in any way. I just go and leave. But when you're a cult, every part of your life, your money, everything is controlled. The pastor especially gets scared when somebody gets away from that control, and because he needs that control over everybody, you have to do everything that you can to make sure that nobody else makes a decision to take their control away from the church. That's probably the textbook definition of a cult, whether it's Eastern religion, Christian, or Bible-based, or any other type of enlightenment. What they all have in common is the inability for the people in the the congregation to think and act on their own. And the most common way when you look at their cults, it's controlling their time and their money. Because once you do that, the person is powerless. And so if I'm in a marriage where I don't have an education, I'm unable to support myself if I leave, then the church has all the control because I'm I'm married to somebody who we did not marry each other for love. And so we don't have that kind of commonality. What we got married for is for our church. So I don't even have like an ally that I'm married to. I don't have a way to support myself if I did decide to leave because I'm uneducated. A lot of people in our church did not even graduate from high school because for a woman, there was no purpose really for her to be educated. So you leave the church and then
0: Mm -hmm. years later, your parents leave and you do reconnect with them.
1: Yes. And what my dad did that really helped us because we're all very unhealthy people. My dad joined a cult survivor group. And he encouraged me to join. And that is when the healing began, not just with my family, but with myself and my relationship with God. I met people who understood where I came from, because I still felt different from everybody else. And so I met people, some of them had been part of my church, and some were in similar churches, not even just a Bible base. Sometimes they were just, you know, part of a, a different faith, but the same kind of atmosphere. And so we would help each other learn how to make decisions on our own because we still struggled with that. Even after I'd been out for, you know, that time five years, I still struggled. And we were able to help each other with our questions of our own spirituality. And a lot of times we would challenge each other. Do you believe that because that's what you were raised with? Or do you believe that because that's how you feel now? And it was really meant for us to examine everything so that we would learn how to live an independent life, and independent from the chains of the cult that weighed us down. Because everything was so different in the outside world, it was just really hard to navigate it. But when you're around people who understood it, who understood not knowing who my identity was, felt better. But then also what we had in the cult survivor group was that feeling of community that I missed. That was the hardest part about when I was no longer part of that church was being surrounded by people who were my friends. And being part of the cult survivor group helped me find other people who wanted to be my friends. And we were able to, you know, share meals and talk and laugh. You know, those stories of where things are so bad that you have to laugh because you would cry. Yeah. We could tell those stories Mm -hmm. and we could laugh about it and get over the pain because the more we talked about it and the more that we took power over that, no longer did it have power over us, we were learning to empower ourselves. We had our own strength. And it was that was the best thing that my dad could have done for me. And then also through it, most of the people were people who chose to join the cult. And so I felt different, because I was raised in it. Um, And it's different when you're raised believing, I mean, it's indoctrinated in me from the time I was a kid. And so it was a little bit different than those people that had lived a life outside of the church and chose to join it. And so I met, they call us first generation cult members, the people who were born in it or joined at a very young age. And so I got to meet people who grew up in it and people whose parents were still in it, people whose parents had at some point left. And so there were people who had my situation and that really helped. And there's not a lot of research that has been done on kids like us. And a lot of researchers, a lot of psychologists are starting to understand us and and research us and try to understand what they can do so that when we do leave, how to help us in a therapy setting. And how are we different than our parents who joined? I felt like I was contributing a lot and it made me feel better by sharing my story with people. You know, in the church, it was all about evangelizing and, and spreading that message. And I felt that by working with doctoral students and and researchers on my story i was getting the message out of that there is life outside of it and you're going to struggle and it's not going to be that you can just leave and you're suddenly going to feel free and you're going to be able to live your life there is a very long transition period It's very difficult but it's worth it
0: mm-hmm. why do you think i mean I, you kind of under, went through why your parents joined but why do you think other people would join a church like this? Is it just that initial, we're, we're good, we're great, we're all about love? Is it sort of a bait and switch scenario?
1: I think that's part of it. I think looking back on it, we did have a, people with mental illness, and I think they know how to kind of prey on that. I think there were people that wanted that community. They had nothing. We would provide you shelter. All you have to do is give us devotion, and we will provide you food and shelter. And there were a lot of people where they would think, I'm desperate. I've got nowhere else to go. And they would join for that reason. And I think there are some people who are just searching for an answer. And they didn't find it in whatever traditional ways that they did. And so they they wanted something different. This community, we offered that. So a lot of it is bait and switch. A lot of it is they would try to figure out what you needed. Oh, you don't like the cloudy mind that you have when you're on prescription pills? Well, live your life this way. And, and you will be better. Oh, you're addicted to drugs? Oh, you don't need to go to 12 steps and rehab and all that. Follow our program and we'll get you off your addiction. They would tailor it to whatever that person wanted. I mean, sometimes it was, you know, they just thought one of the women who was evangelizing to him was pretty and so they join it because they think of a church full of pretty girls and then before you know it, you're, you're part of it. It happens so slowly for a lot of people that it's like you don't even realize that what you thought was a sheep is now a wolf until it's too late. You've given up everything. You've given up you know, all ties to your friends and family. You don't have a savings account anymore because you've given it all to the church. You have nothing. So you just say, I'm stuck here. You need to stay part of it.
0: When you listen to, say, my episode with the Jehovah's Witness, or uh-huh. or if you watch TV and you watch any of the things on Scientology, What do you think when you see that?
1: Scientology, I relate to the most. You didn't pay to move up levels, but it was very much a, as you grow in the knowledge of it, it frees your mind more. And the idea of all your life and your money being devoted, that I can relate the most to because I think that's a, from what I've heard of people who have left Scientology, that's a big part is your time and your money um, is devoted to your church. Your church also knows your secrets because you have... Confessions of where you're sharing things. And so now your church can use those things against you. That's what we have. It was meant as your confession, but not meant like how Catholics do confession. It was, you know, sharing everything. And it's meant to totally relieve, to totally give up anything that Satan can hold over you. Because once it's out in the open, Satan can't control it anymore. And so you think that you're just sharing, unburdening yourself. But really, it's a way for the church later to use it against you. People have a fascination with cults. Sometimes I think I understand why. I think it's like kind of seeing the, a life that is so different from the one you have that you kind of get lost in it. Mm-hmm. I watch things about cults, like maybe certain things with the Amish or others and not some things the Amish or cult, but that they're separated. I watch it because that reminds me of what I grew up with and it feels familiar. But then also I use it as a way to remind myself of this is why I have to be very vigilant because I know that it would be very easy for me to to join another one because that's what feels comfortable.
0: Wow. That's it's quite a statement, Erica.
1: <laughs> that is I've worked with a lot of therapists mm-hmm. so that it doesn't happen to me, but there have been many times I just wanted to crawl back to the church and and beg for them to take me back because I hated I hated the idea of having to I wanted somebody to tell me what to believe and what to do well, because I just didn't like to be a grown-up. I just really wanted to, so I to say, if I believe A, B, and C, I go to heaven. If I do this, this, and this, I will have the life God wants. And it just seems sometimes easier.
0: Well, I get that. I mean, there's some people that are like, I just want to go back to jail or prison because my whole entire day was planned out for me. Or when somebody comes back from a long stint with the military, you know, what do they do with themselves now? They have to be motivated. They have to have a plan. Otherwise, whether it be military or prison or whatever controlled environment, and I'm not trying to compare all those things, you know, (laughs) but, but it's your day's planned out. And if your day is not planned out, then that whole idle hands do the devil's work. Well, now, what do you do with yourself? Well, you either go back to a life of crime, you start using drugs, you start trying to find other stimulus that might not be so productive.
1: (laughs) For me, as painful as it is, being in an environment where everything is being judged and watched, that felt comfortable to me. I knew how to behave in that. And so I have to be careful. My husband understands my struggles. And he'll see that I'll kind of, I'll get, he calls it a little squirrely, he calls it. And he'll have to tell me, Erica, I think you're jumping from one thing to another because you're trying to fill that void again. And I think you need to call your therapist or you're somebody from your group, my support group. Yeah. Because I'm going down a path that can lead to a place that I don't want to be. I, I want the freedom.
0: You've become impressionable. You've become sort of desperate to find a place to fit
1: in. And and I think that's one thing those people who don't understand say like Scientology are the ones. Like why? Why do they do it? And and a large part of it is just that, that feeling of community that even though you know you have to conform a certain way in order to fit in. But if you conform to that, it is the greatest feeling. And that is the hardest part, not being in it. And that is what I, I find myself trying to find. And I think that the one thing where I have to be really careful that would bring me right back to that similar group would be thinking that if I join this, I'll get that same feeling. That's the way that a cult get me to, to rejoin. 'Cause when you're all working together for the same heaven on earth in our little community, it is the greatest feeling. You never achieve it because you always know you're never good enough. But you're trying. And that feels like you have a common thing with humans and that's what we want. We want that connection. And and so that church provided that for me.
0: There's a million ways to get that feeling. <laughs> I go to like music festivals that are sort of like Burning Man but on a much smaller scale where hippies and ravers and all like come together and everyone's accepted go to a tailgating party before or after a a football game you know everyone's there for the same reason they're all barbecuing they're all having a good time and there's that community there's that we're all familiar we're all here for the same reasons you know and that's that feeling of acceptance that's that feeling of i'm one of you i'm normal i don't it's all normal
1: i became a runner for that reason yeah that feeling of saturday morning is race day okay these are the days i train and so that was for me a healthy way like a resemblance of that a little bit of that feeling to be part of a community but in a healthy way my husband teases that i give away as much money to uh races as i probably did to the church but um <laughs> it's a well, healthier at,
0: least, way. At, at least you're getting something out of it huh? yes. <laughs> No offense. I'm not trying to be mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I got to laugh about it now. Yeah, we told jokes about it all the time. I mean, you know, my husband likes to joke that if he was going to start a cult, he'd do it like my pastor did and say mm-hmm. he had permission to marry lots of women. That's the perfect
0: way to start a cult. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing is it's great to have a religious cult when you're male and yes. you have all the power. That's the sad reality of it all is the people in charge can do whatever they want they can marry as many women as they want. They can make up the rules as they go, but it's their followers that are the victims. It's their followers that have to walk on eggshells. There are great churches out there. I've donated to a lot of churches that support the homeless, uh, have shelters or days where they're feeding the homeless, you know, things like that. I will donate to a church, me, the most non-religious guy on the planet. <laughs> I, I want to help other people just as much as anyone else. And I can see the good in most organizations, religious or not.
1: Right. Um, and I am a Christian now. Yeah. So it took me a while to get to that point to where I really felt that I believed that mm-hmm. and not because I was taught that at a young age, that I truly had those feelings and beliefs. And so I'm not anti-church. Yeah. I don't want anybody to ever think that. That is not, I'm not anti-religion or anti-God. I, I, I do have a spirituality. This was different. So we could have removed the Bible and put anything in there because really what it came down to was my pastor's interpretation, the message he was getting from God. He just happened to use the Bible as his way to create a cult and to indoctrinate people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have a template of control insert whatever book, insert whatever belief system you want. And it's, it plays out the same. <laughs> I, you couldn't have said it better, really.
1: I just don't want people to think that, you know, I, I, I'm not that way. You and that just, yeah. A lot of people in my survivor group cannot associate with a church that is, or a religion that's similar to theirs. So they could not be a Christian or they couldn't be something that's similar to the cult that they were in. And I respect that. For me, I was able to find a way um I just gravitated there were certain and there are certain things that yeah. I know now that I can disagree with something and and that's okay yeah. and It took me a long time to realize that I can disagree with the pastor or whatever religious figure disagree with anything, and that was did not mean that I was damned for hell yeah. so that took a long time for me. It meant I had to take a break from church mm-hmm. because it was really hard for me not to go back into old thinking. But through a lot of work with a therapist and and my support group, I was able to kind of reconstruct myself and know that it's okay for me to change my beliefs too and evolve and figure out what I like and what I don't like and give myself permission for that. And so I think that's a little bit different than people who, even if you grew up in a kind of a fundamentalist faith or a, a stricter faith, you do have enough coping skills a lot of times that you can kind of be like, well, okay, I don't want to be this, but I'm going to be another church and I'm going to be okay with that and kind of change things a little bit. difference with being raised in a cult is everything is controlled and told to you. And it's really hard to give yourself permission to make your own decisions. But I knew that once I got to the point where I could give myself permission to decide what I believed, I knew that I was getting healthier. And I, I started to think Maybe I would recover, and I would be okay, and it really helped my relationship with my dad because I stopped being resentful., yeah. and so it's still hard sometimes. He still holds on to certain views that I think would be very easy for him to be led astray again, but somehow he's able to balance it. So I have to learn not to judge what he believes and think that, oh, this is a sign he's going back into it. I don't know. I just have to trust that he's also doing the next right thing to stay healthy. We talk regularly. And, and, and it's really nice to have the relationship with my parents again and a healthy relationship. We didn't really have one growing up. I didn't know my parents because everything was all time was spent at the church. And so now I got to know my parents. And so that was really nice. I'm glad that we were able to be on this journey together. Well, I'm
0: happy that your relationship with your parents and even God wasn't ruined by this small, select group of people. It's very easy to become prejudiced against anyone, anything, because of one bad situation. It's true. And
1: it was hard. And then I realized that I can't, I would not judge a group of people based on one bad person. I can't judge a higher power God based on one man who misrepresented him. And it, but it took me a long time to get to that point.
0: I think you did a good job though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and obviously your husband is somebody you met in college or lit much later, not through the church, right?
1: Not in church. He grew up in a semi religious house. He he doesn't have all the hang ups that I have. But uh he's very understanding.
0: Do you think that you uh how do I how do I phrase this? <laughs> <laughs> do you think you had it easier than some other people that have survived or gotten out of these kind of controlling religions? Or do you think that you're a, I hate to say, a standard or typical story?
1: No, I knew somebody that was a part of my survivor group that committed suicide. Not that that's the standard, but I know that it's a struggle and it isn't always easy, especially if the family still stays part of the church. Um, It's really hard. I think where I had it a little bit easier than others was being kicked out. I did not have to make the decision to leave. It was made for me. Now I did choose to go, you know, make the decisions that led up to that. I did not have years of going back and forth of do I believe it? I want to get out. And and I, it was just, the decision was made for me. And so that was really nice because I was not able to make decisions. So it, comparing myself to other people in the church or my cult survivor group that chose to leave, I see in that way I, it was a little bit easier for me. The decision was made and I was cut off and, and then I was given the chance to heal and rebuild myself compared to somebody who spent years wanting to leave but couldn't leave and, and having to make that painful decision to leave family and friends behind. And so I think that helped my recovery.
0: That goes back to kind of you prefer to be told what to do in, in yes. some situations. And I'm no, right there with you. I've never been fired from a job. I've always had to quit. It's way harder. It's like it's easier to get broken up with than to break up with somebody. <laughs>
1: yes. That's all that with my parents. Because as much as they disagreed with what was going on in the church, they had a hard time cutting the string and leading. They just kept trying to seek an answer just show us the book. Let me see where the money is. I, I don't understand this. Or they kept trying to find a way to stay in the church and have their questions answered. And then eventually the church made the decision for them that they had to leave. But they spent quite a bit of time trying to find a way to stay in it, even with their questions. And I didn't have to go through that. But I noticed that it took them a lot longer initially to begin healing. Whereas for me, I was so busy with college and how I was going to pay rent to my parents and all that, that I really didn't have a lot of time to not move on with my life. Like, I didn't have a choice. I had to find a way to move on. I think what really helped and what I would suggest to anybody else who's listening feels that they are in that kind of church or that kind of group and they want to get out and they're not quite sure how or they've recently left and they don't know what to do, find a cult survivor group. There are lots of them. There are lots of books people of how to leave. I wish I had found that four years sooner. I think my college years would have been healthier if I had already begun my step toward becoming healthy. But I didn't know those things existed, but they do. And, and they're amazing tools so that you don't feel alone and you learn how to make decisions because that's the hardest thing to do when you leave an environment where every minute of your day was controlled.
0: I can't imagine. I guess I never really accepted the military lifestyle very much. So when I got out, I was pretty much unscathed. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it's hard. And and then, yeah, I, other people who, who left the church and, you know, I've touched with them. They said that, gotten in touch with them. They said things like what they did when they left was sleep because they maybe were rebellious near, or considered rebellious near the end of the time in the church. And so sleep deprivation was the punishment and they said that when they finally were they left they left for a day and catching up on sleep and remembering what it was like to feel like you caught up on your sleep and and i think when you're in those environments you forget what it's like to be healthy that what it's like to eat when you want to eat eat what you want when and what you want to eat sleep and and, and things that you enjoy like sleep and food not being used as punishment it's interesting talking with people and how they, when they left, the first things that they did. You know, for me, it was going out and I immediately had to figure out what kind of music I liked. And for other people it was sleeping or um, because we didn't have a lot of the money, you know, because it was split among everybody, we did not eat well. And so we lived on a lot of donated food from a Chinese buffet and from grocery stores on their expired food. A common thing among a lot of us who left that church was we could not eat at Chinese buffets because it was given to us for free. That's all we could eat. Um, to this day, I still can't eat Chinese buffet food.
0: You're not Uh-oh. missing out. <laughs> Once I discovered Thai food, Chinese food just kind of fell out.
1: It was really hard, too, because I was a, my family was vegetarian. I didn't eat a lot. Now, I have made up for it as an adult.
0: Was there any, is there any other points you wanted to make that you had written
1: down? Kind of, you know, back to where people watch shows about people who love Scientology and they're fascinated by it. I hear a lot of people talk about them like they're not human because they're in a cult somehow that we're not human. And I think that's kind of one thing I'd like people to think about is to have compassion and understanding. We're not healthy people. Uh, That's how the cult got us. But any person could be susceptible to it. All it takes is one person who knows your weakness and they can get you. And so when you're watching those shows or you're reading stories about them, maybe instead of like, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that person because they're in that cult. You might be the one lifeline that person has. Just have a little compassion because maybe if somebody had had a little bit more compassion, they could have left sooner.
0: It's perfect because I try to be accepting of all. I try not to, judge or dismiss people. Uh, the only time I ever feel dismissive is when somebody's dismissive of me <laughs> for whatever belief system it may be. Uh, but I, I try not to, to do that because I know what it feels like to be discriminated against or dismissed. Maybe it's because I'm all about getting people to live a little. I won't say corrupt them, but I always like that when when somebody's like, feels a little naughty because they did something that I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have even thought twice about doing that because, well, that's just how I live my life. It's, it's all about experience. It's all about creating memories. It's all about living with freedom. If you're able to do that, then that's great. And if you're not able to do that, then hopefully maybe somebody will come along, take you by the hand and be like, it's okay. Yes,
1: yeah, Even if that person don't know, wants to hold your hand, they're scared. Just keep
0: keep trying. I think that's something good to to leave people with. I might not be religious, but I have no problem with religion or people's belief. I really don't. I, I wouldn't have joined the military and put my signed on the dotted line that I would give my life for their right to worship whatever they want. That's pretty much how I feel about it. Is I go do it, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. You know? Not
1: everybody has that because I think I don't know. I think we, in some ways, people are cult members or in weird churches, it's something to kind of gawk at and, 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 and judge so you feel better, like, oh, at least I'm not part of that, yeah. instead of, you know, they, they need people to, you know, we're in a country where people have religious freedom and sometimes they pick unhealthy sex, but, um, you know, we all, we all just need to learn to like, have compassion and empathy and you just never know when that person needs the lifeline that you can provide for them.
0: Thank you so much, Erica. For anyone that doesn't know, she runs all my social media and emails and replies on Facebook for me. I cannot thank you enough, Erica. You're keeping this whole boat afloat right now. Next up is a special guest. I'll let them do the introductions themselves. A little warning. The language on this one can be a little colorful, so please remove any kids out of the room if you're listening to this on speakers. All right. Introduce yourselves, and then um, we'll start, you know, kind of before you joined, and then we'll, we'll just go from there. If That's cool.
3: Hi, Justin. I'm Laura. And my name's Debbie. Awesome. And we are going to be starting a podcast about the time Debbie spent in a cult. Ten long years.
0: Uh, What kind of cult was it?
3: Um, It was an Old Testament polygamous doomsday cult. In which everything that was in the Old Testament, if they told you to do it, you did it. If they told you you couldn't do it, you didn't do it. People had multiple wives. People had indentured servants and we were preparing for the end of the world with trailers full of uh, stockpiled food, just about anything that you can think of.
0: Did you guys have guns too?
3: I have a friend who, her group used to come from a different state, and she told me um, that they did bring weapons and they did bring ammunition. Mm -hmm. I personally haven't seen it, but I can tell you Uh, Where our feast trailer was, the kids were digging into an embankment of sand, and the guards came over at one point and told us we had to stop digging, and they gave us the reason that they were afraid that the embankment was going to fall on the kids, and we all thought that was ludicrous, but we stopped, and later when we came back from service, we could tell that heavy equipment had been back there and probably took out whatever was hidden in the hillside. The trailer that me and my husband at the time had taken over um, had belonged to one of the elders that had either left or gotten kicked out. That's how we ended up with that particular Feast trailer, which some of us had been talking about it after we had left. And it made perfect sense that they would have buried something back behind that specific elders trailer because nobody would be poking around back there.
0: All right. So... I know that a lot of people don't have a lot of, I guess, sympathy for people that are stuck in a cult or join a cult. But I realize that anyone can be talked into just about anything. How did you end up joining this cult?
3: I left home at 18, two weeks after graduation. And I had at one point ended up in Charleston, South Carolina, where I had met the man that was gonna be my husband. Um, We had made four payments on a house. We were talking about getting married. And his estranged father of eight years sent him a box of literature. And it was really no big deal. He started reading the stuff and whatnot. And he announced that we were going to their next feast. We both worked for ourselves, so that wasn't much of a problem to take the time off. He was going to find religion, and I was going to see the Freaks in the Mudhole Commune. It sounded like a great time, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, yeah, we ended up going to the very first feast. His dad and his stepmom were already members. His dad was already an elder. His sister and his brother-in-law were also members and living there. It It was an interesting time. And you're supposed to go three times a year to celebrate the feast, you're required to go. Mm -hmm. We went back to Charleston after we had left the first feast, and hey, the people were nice, I could go on vacation three times a year. Who couldn't use a vacation three times a year? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, big gathering sounds like fun. Uh,
3: it, It was really different in the beginning. It was more about peace, love, brotherhood, the end is coming, get your shit together type thing. But yeah, after about two months of being back in Charleston, Kenny decided that he had to go and live with his people. So I'm originally from a different state, and I really, I'd only been in Charleston for about a year and a half, two years. So it wasn't really anything to go, okay, well, pack up, new experience, let's move to another state. And I really wasn't prepared for what life entitled being there. You're not supposed to be friends with anybody outside the group. Everything's monitored. It was really different than being somebody who is, lives 1,500 miles from where they're stationed and only going three times a year.
0: Uh, you were living in trailers?
3: They actually have the original compound is in the middle of the city, And it's on several acres, and there's various trailers there. That's where they have the press room where they pump out the propaganda. Um, But they were given a whole lot of acreage um, just outside of town and just outside the the city limits in another county. And that's where they built the big house. And that's where everybody would come and gather for the feasts. Um, out on this acreage, and it's been there. Um, they started the religion in the '80s, and I think they moved out to the big property towards the end of the '80s when it was one of the members donated his farmland to them. So
0: you're just cool with going there. I, I, obviously, you didn't have a lot of roots back at where you were. You didn't, uh, you know, you were self-employed. Were you allowed to continue working once you got there?
3: You were allowed to continue working. Um, It slowly changed over the years. Um, There were certain places, like there was a telemarketing company and a national insurance company that was based there, that some of the members they actually had higher up managerial positions uh-huh. and a lot of us went to work for those certain companies just because it was, you had somebody to talk to at work. It was easy to get the job and you couldn't get a lot of work because you had to take the leader's last name. Mm. And in that particular town, it's very isolated in the state. And when you put on the application that your last name is what it is, they would literally look at you and go, you have to work on Saturday, it's required. Well, you're not allowed to work on Saturday, so they wouldn't have to hire you. So that's how they got around hiring cult members and regular jobs around town because they weren't very well liked.
0: Hmm. Were they mean or I mean why didn't they get along with the townsfolk? Was there what was the animosity or the uh friction there?
3: I guess just mostly because they're a very different group. They have made Rick Ross's top ten most dangerous cults in the United States. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's a charming place. I really don't suggest you visit. (laughs) They bought they buy up a lot of the land. And they try and buy it up cheaply. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of trailer parks that they've opened for the members that move there. I'm not quite sure why they don't actually like them other than it's it's just very different. And the leader's a swindler. I...
0: <laughs> You're already going there.
3: <laughs> uh, I mean, would you like a cult in your backyard?
0: I don't know if they were nice people and they helped me take out my garbage or mow my yard.
3: No, 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 because see, we're not allowed to talk to you. We have to act like you don't exist.
0: So did you ever go out and eat at like restaurants or go to grocery stores? Or were there people that would do those kind of missions?
3: When we first got there, Mm -hmm. you could. And then the leader got on the bandwagon of I can make a shit heap ton of money and declared that. According to the FDA, there's only a certain amount of blood and pus allowed in each gallon of milk. So suddenly we weren't allowed to buy milk or dairy products anymore. Cheese, butter, yogurt, none of that. And lo and behold, guess who started a dairy farm? Then came the chickens. See, we couldn't buy chicken eggs from the store anymore either because chickens are brought up in little tiny cages and they're sexually frustrated. And that's what gives them the cholesterol and that's what makes the eggs bad for them. So, of course, you know, that was a whole sermon we had. Um, I mean,
0: if he would have said they're brought up in inhumane conditions, I'd been on board with that. But that wasn't exactly his point of view was it
3: no we have a whole line of x-rated sermons that should not be listened to in mixed company and could not probably be played on your show <laughs> if they started to take away certain foods and then selling them back to you
0: did you have your own beliefs before this or were you religious before this
3: Uh, pretty much like everybody else your parents teach you to go to church and you don't really want to go but you're forced to and then you just quit going but like when things get tough oh god please help me save me or you might visit a church or something Mm -hmm. no i was quite happy living the life i was living in charleston you know, when Kenny said that he wanted to go check these people out, I was like, hey, whatever, free vacation. You know, everybody needs to check into religion once in a while. Um, that's just how it ended up coming about. I kind of could tell it was bullshit out there because they kind of mixed all the religions. Like they would take stuff from Mormons and they it, the, the Hasidic Jews and other religions, Um, at one point they added in confessions and everybody's like, what are we Catholics now? (laughs) And I have literally read the scriptures through three and a half times. I have taken them back to the original Hebrew and the original Greek. I have used the interlinears, lexicons and concordances. And I tried for years to have my husband I'm like, these people are crazy. At the end, I was trying to convince him these people are crazy. Mm-hmm. And he is to this day still there.
0: What year was it that you ended up moving there?
3: We moved there in 1993.
0: Okay, sort of before computers were big, before a lot of the technology that we have today had even started.
3: We did have um, a computer in our house. Mm-hmm. It was uh, used a lot mainly for homeschooling my kids because I wasn't allowed to send them to school. Um, so we had a lot of homeschooling programs for them. But one of my secret pleasures was he worked out of town and only came home once a month. So I would go in online and play games and things and talk to people that I wasn't supposed to because I'm such a rebel like that.
0: You were allowed to have this computer on on the property.
3: Yeah, we didn't live with um, on any of the their property. We actually had two acres of our own that was about eight miles away. Mm -hmm. A lot of people weren't of any value except for labor. So they would put them to work in the press room for a dollar an hour, 40 hours a week. Then he would turn around and rent one of the scudgy little trailers that was on the property. Pretty much a travel trailer. And he'd turn around and he'd rent it to them for $30 a month. Along with taking ties and everything else out of these people, it, I don't know how some of them survived, how they lived. My one friend basically lived on ramen noodles. When she could afford macaroni and cheese, it was a holiday.
0: I, I just totally mesmerized by how one person wants to be in power and how other people follow them and accept it wholeheartedly, you know?
3: His, his one daughter told me the one day that if he, her father told her, if I told them people that they couldn't wipe their ass with anything but blue toilet paper, he said, we'd constantly run out of stock at the general store. Mm-hmm wouldn't be able to keep it in stock because he told him wipe your ass with blue toilet paper and literally that's that's what they do yeah anything that he tells them to do they do Mm -hmm.
0: i guess if there's a good reason for it i i can understand if i can understand the logic or common sense behind an order but if i if i don't understand it i don't follow it but that's just me
3: What I don't understand is back in 1993, like I said, it was all very much about brotherhood and helping and love. And by the end, it was total to tell, it was just horrible. And if he would have kept with the brotherhood love message, instead of trying to crunch down as hard as he could, he'd probably have 50 or 60,000 followers by now.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out like why... Uh, What were you getting out of it? What was the drive or the pull? Was it just to be around? people of like mind and Have a simpler life
3: They actually were a pretty decent group of people to be around the lesser people not the upper echelon not the elders and the elders wives I'm pretty sure uh, most of them were there because they're looking for something to believe in in a shitty world And they pretty much sell you that the world is shitty and you found the right place to be. We are the chosen ones. All you have to do is this, 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 and this. You are going to be Jesus's right-hand man. You're going to rule galaxies. You're Mm going. With everything that's going on in the world, people actually looked at their religion that maybe this Is something if that makes any sense yeah
0: no it it really does and I think that's what most groups of people gatherings of people do is hey it's a crummy world and we're here as your own support model so that's the drive that's the hook it's come to us and we'll take care of you
3: yes and then once you show up where they actually are you're financially drained They sold a friend of mine a trailer on a one-acre lot, and she paid $8,000 for it. And it really wasn't even worth maybe $2,000. It was old. It was beat up. But she was determined she was bringing her family down. Well, then when she got there, first thing you want to do in a new place is clean. Well, she went to turn the water on, and that's when she was informed, well, that's another $5,000 for the well. And then it was another $2,000 for the septic illegally. They hooked her up to, after she paid them another $7,000, they hooked her up to four other trailers that were already using septic and water, which is totally illegal.
0: Yeah. Cause it, you're supposed to have separate residents for each one yes. so you can pay, but yeah. Tell me a little, a little bit about the elders and that whole structure.
3: Well, you got the grand poo <laughs> And underneath him, you have a structure of elders and the elders' wives. The elders and their wives work as counselors. Everybody has counselors. Um, heaven forbid you handle anything on your own. The elders preside over everything, um, they give the sermons do the baptisms oh they exercise the demons out of people that's always a good one to watch they're they're the ones that counsel like the new people that come to all the feasts and if you have problems you have to go to your counselors any sort of problems you go to your counselors
0: if you knew somebody else was having a problem would you be oh
3: hell you know how many times I got turned in for stuff
0: (laughs) that was what Uh, I was getting at (laughs)
3: Oh, oh, yeah. I, I, I really didn't want to be there. So I did all kinds of passive aggressive stuff and stuff I wasn't supposed to. And I got caught quite a few times and turned in. My worst duty that I ever got punished with was they have the canning room. And they're in a very hot state. Mm-hmm. Once these things are in the jars and canned, they're put into tractor trailers that sit in the sun Hmm. all year round. So if you're being punished for something around feast time, depending on what you did, somebody has to go into that trailer and find all of the jars that have turned black or are rotten. They then put those into bus pans and they hand them off to somebody else who opens these nasty, vile, disgusting, smelly things. And throws the lids and the rings into a different bus pan. And I get brought the rancid jars that I have to empty into five-gallon buckets and put the jars into another bus pan for whoever did whatever has to wash them things out. But, yeah, nasty jobs, nasty punishments. But those are,
0: you know, that's what you have to do to survive on your own. You know, I mean, you're they're, you're training for after the world ends, and this is what is going to be required.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's why I have three thousand tampons sitting at home, okay? Because I was going to trade them for food and other things.
0: Oh my goodness!
3: I actually made the chocolate there for the for the longest time. I've been making chocolate since I was five with my grandma.
0: I'm going to have to try some of that. <laughs> Just make
3: sure you don't get the special blend.
0: <laughs> Is that what you made for the leader in the <laughs> Yes,
3: It really was. And I got so much joy out of that, giving him period chocolate for crying out loud for lack of anything else. All right. <laughs> I mean, how much more passive aggressive Anger can you get and go here fuck you at the same time as you smile and sweetly hand him his 10 pound box <laughs> and by the way i really sincerely apologize to anybody out there that he may have given a piece of that candy too
0: <laughs> well it was all natural and gluten-free so you're okay <laughs> and so nothing was free you had to work you were you were an indentured servant really
3: If you had nothing when you showed up, yes, you would be an indentured servant. Mm -hmm. Um, My ex-husband made a lot of money, and that's why we had our own property. Other than Farmer Yosef, I was the only one that had a personal cow. Everybody else, um, well, not everybody, but quite a few people had goats, and that's where they got their milk from. So
0: you had to milk a cow?
3: Oh, yes, yes, yes. I had to milk a cow twice a day. And do you know why you milk a cow before the sun comes up and after it goes down? No idea. Because flies go home to roost. They are not out if the sun is not up. And cows hate flies. And let me tell you, a tail to the back of your head hurts pretty damn bad. So you have to get up at 430 in the morning and milk your cow. (laughs)
0: You weren't allowed to eat or have sinful things, right?
3: Uh, No pork. Uh, For a while, we had to kosher all of our meats, Mm -hmm. meaning you had to fill your sink with sea salt and water. And like literally your ground meat looked like a brain when you got done with it because it like leaches all the blood out of it. And eventually they built their own slaughterhouse. But that was after I was gone
0: were you allowed alcohol or tobacco?
3: Well, you could have them when we first got there. And smoking was, you weren't supposed to do it, but you could. But you couldn't be walking across the grounds with a cigarette or a cigar. It had to be done in your dwelling, in your tent, in your, or off the grounds. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, you could have it, but you weren't supposed to get drunk. And let me tell you, I did not follow that rule along with a bunch of my friends. <laughs>
0: And where would you sneak off to do these things?
3: Well, like I said, for the most part, my now ex-husband was only home once a month. So it wasn't that hard. My kids were little. You put them to bed at seven, eight o'clock, have a few beers, you know, enjoy yourself. During the feasts, we used to be able to fellowship and drink. But that got taken away after a few years when they separated the men and the women.
0: They separated the men and the women.
3: Yes, Um, about two, it was two weeks um, after I left. I went to my very last service and said, fuck this, I am never coming back here. And my friend Sherry told me that they put a wall up. They put a wall up between the sides. And it had been coming for a long time, the separation of men and women. Uh, That's because you can lust after somebody, and that's sinful.
0: What was it like when you finally decided you're leaving? You're going to get the hell out.
3: It's almost like a divorce, because you don't just wake up one day and go, hmm, I think I want a divorce. It's a steady amount of grains of sand on that side of the scale that you just, till you can't finally take it anymore. Mm -hmm. Mine personally, like I said, my husband worked out of town and I caught him on the phone talking to an obvious female. I slid the stethoscope under the door. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear him giggling going, Oh, I won't be gone that long. Oh, it's only a few days. I miss you too. Well, we had a knockdown drag out that night. And he kept trying to convince me that I was crazy. He wasn't messing around with somebody, you know, eight hours away. And when I went to services that next morning, two of my friends came up to me because they could tell i had been up all night crying. You, you can just tell when someone's a mess. Yeah. And my one friend said to me, oh, my gosh, you found out. How did you find out? I wanted to tell you, but I wasn't allowed. Oh. And I looked at her and said, what are you talking about? And my now ex was getting betrothed to a 15 year old. And when they take a second wife in this place, they never leave. They, I know of one person that left with two wives and all three of them are divorced at this point. But once they take a second one or a third, they never leave. And I literally was going to kill myself if I had to be there any longer. I was that miserable. And that's
0: really creepy. I get it. There's polygamists. I I understand that's the whole belief system. But when the age difference is so great, I mean, it's...
3: He was 35 and she was 15. And later on down the road, after I had been out for a while, we have a, a loose network. There's about 300 of us on Facebook on a survivor's page and we keep up with shit. And I came to find out... I, I met a little boy. He was four when I got there. He is to this day still my friend. Mm-hmm. One day he popped up on Facebook and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're out. And he told me one of his friends that was a girl, I, they kind of grew up together from the time they were basically born. Their families were very close and they had planned on marrying. By this time, after I left, the women started wearing the um the full coverings where you didn't even know who was who. Like and, a, like,
0: like a burqa, pretty much. Yes. Okay.
3: And were not allowed to wear them into town when, when they went shopping because it brought too much notice to them. And apparently my ex father in law saw my friend's soon to be bride with her mother shopping and he lusted after her went to the leader said he had to have her and that's how a 15 year old ended up with an almost 80 year old that was a nice one
0: that's what makes
3: me sick that one i literally want to throat punch people
0: it's it's disgusting um I'm in my 40s. I'm happily married. But if I were to, God forbid, ever be single again, I don't think I could date a woman under 30. (laughs) Like, I just couldn't do it. And I don't know how somebody, somebody in their teens, it's like, what do you have in common here? What is the, uh, I just, there's nothing. It's just disgusting. Well,
3: there was one elder. He married his wife there and she had kids. She had four kids. And he in no way, shape, or form liked any of them. Three of them aged out and were doing their own thing. And the youngest one turned 13. And that elder called my ex-husband and was offering her.
0: Was it scary when you were leaving?
3: I, I was threatened that if I talked... One of the scariest points was uh, it was about two months, three months before, because I had to make a plan to get out, okay? The fence went up. It was probably 15 foot high, and it had the barbed wire on the top of it, except the barbed wire was not leaning outwards to keep animals from coming into the compound. The barbed wire was leaned inward as if it was to keep us in from climbing out and i literally went out and bought five pairs of wire cutters i had one in my diaper bag i had one in my trailer i had one in the nursery i had one in the bathroom and when it finally came down to it i asked my ex-husband for my concealed carry license and my firearm (laughs) and then i filed for divorce after i got them the leader found out and he told him to go get his concealed carry license and a bigger gun so he can shoot back at me. That's love, isn't it?
0: So you had to escape with your children.
3: Um, I was actually forced to stay in the town I was in for another five years Mm -hmm. before I could move home simply for the fact of money buys you everything. And my ex bought off, my attorney. And it was written into my divorce decree that I could not leave that county in that state without his express written consent, or I would lose immediate custody of my children. I would lose all rights to them. I even took it to another attorney and the attorney was like, why did you sign this? And I'm like, because my attorney told me to trust them, just sign it. So they control a lot of stuff there. It, it is scary getting out. I don't understand some of the people who get out and they stay in that town. Me personally, I wanted as far away as I could get.
0: Well, and maybe you don't know their situation. Like maybe they had other legal ramifications or threats hovering over them. I don't know, you know, just.
3: Everybody reacts differently. Some people, some of my friends, they aren't even phased at being there. It's like, oh, well, it was part of life. I have other people that do not even bring it up to them or they'll, they'll hang up the phone on you they want no part of remembering any of it there's a bunch of us that for years what can we do what can we do how can we let the world see the evilness that goes on out here i mean they have child labor for crying out loud mm-hmm. kids don't go to school they go pick weeds they go pick apples they go churn butter at the butter house. That's what the girls do at least.
0: Well, those are the things that you're going to do after Armageddon, right? (laughs) 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 So why would you need an education or? Hey, (laughs) it
3: was always three and a half years from the day we joined. We only have three and a half years, three and a half years. And after three and a half years, I looked at my ex and I'm like, we spent three and a half years here. Why didn't the end come? Why do we still have to wait three and a half years? Mm -hmm. And they'd always come up with something in the scriptures or something was happening. Just craziness. What
0: was their, how did they say it was going to, did they give you any information on how it was going to happen?
3: Nuclear. Oh. Nuclear. And we all had fallout suits, chemical suits. I wish I would have kept my gas masks. I really do. But they they just kind of like creeped me out when I was packing to leave. And I left over $25,000 worth of nitrogen-backed food in for Armageddon. They taught you how to tape off a room with plastic and duct tape. And But you had to have ventilation so you didn't suffocate in it. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah, but it was to keep the radiation dust from coming in. Yes. Out. Yeah.
3: Yes. We, we had classes on being prepared for it. They had kits that you could buy, of course, with everything you needed.
0: Did, did you have to watch um, the old 50s movies about duck and cover and stuff?
3: Oh, it was... I have tuned out so many of the classes that I had been to. And like I've been telling Laura, I am remembering so much crap that I had just tried to literally forget. When you would go to the feast, it was nothing but classes, whether it was purity classes or what you could eat or not eat, um, how to prepare for nuclear war, how to raise your children, how to talk to other people and give them pamphlets and literature. It was just from the time you got there until the time the feast was done. It was eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and two services a day that were like college lectures.
0: So you, you had a pretty busy schedule.
3: (laughs) Yes. And everybody who lived in the area we all had jobs. I was the playground police. That was that was the most coveted job and I got to be the playground police. My trailer was on the corner of the playground and you have to observe the Sabbath and children are not allowed to play on the playground from Friday night at sunset until Saturday night at sunset. So I got to be playground police and send them on their merry way. And then when parents, irritated parents would come up because it's their first feast, I would literally have to biblically explain to them why their children could not play on the playground until the next evening. One lady was mortified. Her little girl was playing in the sandbox. And another mother came up and asked, what are you making, sweetie? And she said she was like, a birthday cake. Well, that's highly frowned, 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 frowned upon. Uh, of course, that mother got the pamphlet, you know, what are birthdays? Why don't we celebrate them? And I guess the little girl never got to make another sand birthday cake again. Pretty sad, if you ask me.
0: What, what other holidays were... Observer. no holidays you, you do
3: not do any holidays so, as a matter of fact santa claus is a pedophile
0: that that was seriously the
3: seriously that's what they taught santa claus was a pedophile
0: yet the elders were marrying off 13 year olds okay
3: pretty much pretty hypocritical place if you ask me they have the the only thing that you celebrate is biblical you celebrate the passover You celebrate Pentecost, Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets. You're not even allowed to celebrate your own anniversary. And three of those feasts, you're required to be on that property for the entire time that it's held.
0: And how long were those?
3: Um, the smallest one is three days. The longest one is ten days. The one in between is a seven-day feast. Okay. Beginning of the feast or the end of the feast fell right before a Sabbath. It would be integrated into the feast because you can't set up your campsite or do anything on a Sabbath or a high holy day. So the longest one, the longest one that we ever had was thirteen days that we were out there.
0: Now when you say a feast, I picture a huge table full of food and people running around having a good time and eating and splurging and
3: Um Not even Passover's close. like that. Okay. Passover Passover was very fun and you get to drink a lot of wine. So a lot of us had a lot, a lot of wine, okay? But other than that, it's called the Feast of Weeks. It, it, it's just a biblical thing, I guess. Um it's like being in a big religious campground. And think of it that way. You, you've got like 50 acres. You've got the RV section. You have the tent section. You have the permanent dwelling section. Um, along with um, a store. There were medical services there. The main sanctuary building. It was just huge. No. We did used to have community meals. Mm-hmm. And they were a lot of fun. We did cake walks and stuff. Then I think somebody deliberately tried to give one of the elders food poisoning. And so we no longer had the big um, potluck suppers anymore.
0: That wouldn't have been you, would it?
3: <laughs> no, it wasn't me. I, I The as I went was chocolate. Sorry.
0: Um, did people come and go a lot or was were people excommunicated? I don't even know if that's the right term for where you there,
3: were. The leader's wife was excommunicated yeah there's been a lot of people excommunicated at one point they sent i think five elders packing because the elders were questioning the leader and what he was teaching and he didn't want questioned and he just excommunicated them all people like me they just threaten me and hope that you just don't say anything but it's been what 14 years since i've been there i I guess i don't not pretty much a threat to them anymore i'm hoping When I actually filed for divorce, left and quit going, I, um, the head of security came up to me in Walmart right behind me. And I, he came up next to me and I was looking at a canned good and he picked up a can off the shelf and I looked over and I went, Hey, and he said, look forward, don't say a word. And I was like, freaked out. And all he said was, don't open your mouth and you won't end up like other people. And he put the can back and walked away.
0: So he just gave you a warning?
3: Uh, He gave me a warning not to say anything. At this point, um, I know he was skimming off of the top, and they tried to kill him with food poisoning. When he didn't end up dying, he left the hospital, went immediately to the Greyhound station, and was on the run for quite a few years. He never spent more than one or two nights in the same spot. And eventually, he died of a... Mugging in California
0: When you finally did get out How long did it take you to acclimate back to society?
3: I still have a lot of issues with things And I try and push myself to work through them Mm -hmm. To this day, I don't wear a bathing suit or shorts Mm -hmm. I made myself wear a bathing suit once about six years ago Because it bothered me that because of them I didn't want to do it anymore. So I made myself. And that was the last time I wore a bathing suit. I don't really wear shorts. Everybody's different. I personally, I love the hell out of bacon. I don't do religion for bacon reasons. Um, <laughs> but there's other people that have left. And to this day, they still won't eat pork. Mm-hmm. The number 613 really messes with me. And it's everywhere. Uh, it seems like... Twice a day, my eyeballs pop over to the digital clock, and there it is, 6.13.
0: And why does that time stand out to you?
3: Because that was their main thing. There are 613 laws you have to live by. Uh. Their, their, their Bible's even stamped, you know, the 613 laws. That's just drilled into you over and over and over. I'm not the only one, the number of facts... It, it's been 14 years, and let me tell you, there's a lot of addresses, there's a lot of book pages, a lot of clocks, and they just all pop out. 613, look at me.
0: That's the trigger for you.
3: It's one of them. Yeah, yeah, and I, like I said, I've been working on a lot of stuff for a lot of years. I didn't even know how to act the first time I went into a bar afterwards. And then I had to remember, I used to like to go to bars. Well, how did I act when I went to a bar? And you slowly get yourself back. That's that's kind of one of the reasons I'm doing this and starting the podcast is because you just don't heal overnight. And there's certain things that you have to do. And they told me to shut the hell up. And they don't get to do that. This is my life. And I'm taking that part of it back at this point.
0: Do you think if they actually did listen to podcasts, if they heard your voice or heard you describing them, they would know you were who you were and you were talking about them?
3: I've already made Laura promise me that if something happens to me, to not feel bad about it. Because this is my choice. This is what I'm doing. And like I said, I'm taking my life back from them. They have no right to tell me I can't Say what shitty things happened to me, what crappy things they did to me, the living conditions of other people that I knew. You know, if you don't want talked about badly, maybe you shouldn't act badly. I have n- really nothing good to say about them out there yeah. at all.
0: You've you've actually said a few good things. You you said Passover was fun. You've you've given them a few, a little bit of credit here. I will say that. <laughs>
3: well, you you can't live ten years without having. It was a very different life, is what I'm saying. What, yeah. what I found fun for the Passover, you might look at it like, wow, that's crazy. How did she find this fun? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to drink lots of wine that day. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's the little, little joys that you had to latch onto.
3: Pretty much, yes. That one of their mottos was, it's not a religion, it's a way of life. And I can tell you, it's a very different way of life. Yeah, very, very different.